Hello, everyone, and happy 2022. Welcome to another episode of The Board Game Mechanics. I'm Katie, and with me, as always, is... Hey, everybody, what's going on? It is Jason. It's a new year. Yay. Yay. (laughs) I mean, a lot of people are like, oh, 2021 sucked, whatever. Everybody said about 2020. Uh, I saw this meme that said, um, 2022 feels like... Uh, an old an ex-boyfriend that you take back for the third time because he says he's changed <laughs> which i thought was hilarious but i don't know i mean yeah the world's so crazy with covid and stuff but there's still been some good times too i've been telling people that i don't feel super bad like it's i haven't really noticed it because i've been working from home and like our lives haven't really changed super dramatically other than when the kids were at home which was annoying but yeah like so this year is going to feel just like last year to me and you know which was fine (laughs) yeah i mean i feel like there's some things that are changing there's definitely some social change and some of it i think especially in the states like needs to happen and needs to be dealt with whether it'll be dealt with well or not i don't know but um from what we've seen probably not (laughs) right so i feel like the pandemic has just kind of exacerbated some of that and now we can't not look at it so yeah, I'm just worried about my kids going to school. Everything else seems to be okay, <laughs> I guess. Yeah, just put some masks on. Just don't get close to people. If you're sick, just don't go out anywhere. That's that's what we need to do, and then it will all be, uh, you know. That's, like, always been your mantra, though. Don't get close to people. Uh, that's don't true. Don't talk to people. Stay at home. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. It, it's done me well for 37 years, so. <laughs> um, we still have a Christmas tree up. I... I, I've been thinking I should take it down, but it just makes me happy. So I haven't taken it down yet, but I probably should make you bring down all the boxes for the decorations so I can get started on it before I start teaching next week again. Oh, yeah, that is next week. I forgot. Yeah, I can get the boxes down. I'm glad that people get to hear that on the podcast. But yeah. <laughs> So, you know, we're just like regular people where I want to get stuff done and I have to make Jason get, be part of my decorating problems. Whatever. I'm an influencer. Mm, yeah, I'm sure, babe. Yes, over over goodwill. <laughs> hey, it doesn't matter where I'm an influencer. I just I just want to be an influencer. And he's not really an influencer. It's just a coincidence. Whatever. Babe, they have no idea. I did a review of a game. It showed up on Shop Goodwill. There's one review of that game and it's mine. An actual review. The other two are like overviews. That means something to me. So yes, it might be coincidence, but let me have this. Okay, sure. In order to stop you from talking about how influential influential you are, I'll talk about how non-influential I am regarding Kickstarter games. I know no games are like getting backed because I talk about them, um, but it's just fun for me. I'm still kind of not impressed by the content of Kickstarter. There's like some, there's some stuff out there now. A lot of it's card games. And the one I'm going to talk about today is a card game. It's not that it's bad. I just sometimes get tired of talking about them. So I start looking for something interesting, different. Because again, I'm not paid by anybody and I'm not (laughs) pushing any campaigns over the mark. So I just talk about whatever crazy stuff I find. I bet some people have backed some stuff listening to us. Well, maybe. I mean, maybe, but it's not like it, it's like a drove of people that are like making or That's breaking true. a Kickstarter campaign based on my recommendation. The most it would be would be about 150 if everybody backed something. <laughs> and that's highly unlikely. 
Well, yeah, because I'm not going to back one. So uh, (laughs) that's true. Um, This is a card game with a cool theme. I've mentioned before that I like this theme and I've seen more games kind of coming out actually lately. And that game is called Prognosis Death, um, which I think the name is really funny, too. It's by a small company. I think this is our first game called Flying Man Games. And this is a card game where you're sort of, you're diagnosing a patient. You're not even, like, saving them, basically. And it's set collection in a lot of ways. But there's some interesting twists. So in this game, like, you get a a hand of, like, ten cards. Everyone has a hand of ten cards. And then there's, there's like, a discard, like, a draw area out as well. So on your turn, you can either, like, draw a new card or take a card from what's out there. Then you can reveal one of your own cards, um, which means that other people can use that card when they're making a diagnosis. Or you can have an opponent reveal their card so that you have access to it. Um, And you're trying to get the lowest score. You choose when to end the game, which is what's kind of interesting and yet difficult. You decide when you're going to discharge the patient. So on your turn, you can end the game by discharging the patient um, after you've made a diagnosis. So a diagnosis where you set down like a set of cards that are either all the same color or all like the same suit. And you can use any cards that are available to you. So in your hand and like revealed cards from other people, um, especially the revealed card that's kind of low, like that's good for you to use because then that's making, you know, thinking that maybe they're going to have some higher cards in their hand or it's going to help you make like a bigger diagnosis set or whatever. Because you want to have when someone decides to discharge a patient, the person who wins has the lowest score in their hand. And like each card um, has a different value on it. So another way you could possibly win is if too many cards get um, placed in the discard area, the patient actually dies. And the person who wins is the person with the highest score in their hand. So there's like, you could try and like get a bunch of cards discarded if you have a really high hand so the patient dies and you win. Or um, you're going to try to get really low cards in your hand, get out all of these like high numbered symptoms out as is in a diagnosis. You can also play in other people's diagnosis. Um, by chat, like you challenge your diagnosis and add some of your own cards that match in the set as a way to kind of whittle down your hand before someone decides to discharge a patient. Um, you can make your own diagnosis, which is getting cards out of your hand as well. So interesting game, kind of quirky little artwork. Um, I don't know. I just think it sounds kind of fun. <laughs> um, so prognosis death. There's 12 days left on that Kickstarter, and it's 25 bucks, and that 25 bucks includes shipping. That is a really interesting gameplay where it's either low cards or high cards, like based on if the guy lives or dies. It's interesting. Interesting. Yeah, and then like once you lay down a diagnosis, like the top card that's left um, has a special power. And then you do that power, and sometimes that power is, you know, causing other people to reveal more cards. Or um, drawing more cards, returning some cards, those kind of things. Um, so there's also the cards also do things as well as being part of these sets. I do like the art. It looks like watercolor almost. 
Yeah, it's like really odd art. I don't know. I just think it's it's a different kind of game. So if you're interested in you know the medical field or you just think this is like an interesting theme, I remember as a kid, um, one of my friends they were rich, at least in my opinion. So they had like computer games. And one of their computer games was like, you were this ER doctor and you had to like perform surgery and stuff. And one of my friends, her goal was just to kill off as many patients as possible. She would like botch their surgeries all the time. It was terrible. And then I was like overwhelming, felt overwhelmingly guilty about killing fake people on this game. Um, I know this is just your prognosis. Death reminds you of that. So check it out on Kickstarter. 12 days left. 25 bucks, which includes shipping to most places yeah that's cool and that's the only one i felt like covering today so you know everyone knows how fickle i am yeah that's true that is true (laughs) all right so let's talk about some games that we played we're gonna talk oh put that in the wrong section we're gonna talk about three games actually we're back to three games because now we're not talking about 20 games every week so hopefully the episodes don't go on for 92 hours but we'll see so the first game we're going to talk about, two of these games we played at a New Year's Day gaming day that we had with a couple friends, and then one we played at just a game night we had at our house. But the first one we played was at the New Year's Eve, the New Year's Day gaming party, and it is called Harry Potter Strike. So this is a Harry Potter-themed version of the game Strike, which if you don't know what Strike is, I'll explain it to you in 20 seconds. You have a die. You're throwing a dice in this bowl. You're throwing a die in a bowl. If it hits an X side, the die is removed from the game. If you make a match, you get to take the dice out. The point of the game is you want to be the last person left in the game with dice. That's it. That's the basic rules. In the Harry Potter version, each of the die faces have a different spell ability. So they may manipulate what you can do on your turn. They may let you take more dice. They may stack up the dice in a, uh, you know, a stack. So if you hit it, chaos ensues. It could make it where if you make a match with a certain face, you can't take any of the dice out and all that kind of thing. And also, if you ever start your turn without a die in the bowl, the bowl you have to throw all five of your dice in there, all the dice that you have in there, and hopefully you get a match or you'll be out of the game. That's not fun. That's not good. So Strike is a game that was interesting to me. I, I saw it on video and I wanted to play it, so our, our friend had this one and we played it twice in a row. It's fine. It's a, a dice rolling, just chaos game. If you like chaos and rolling dice and this is probably a game that you can check out it's not deep strategy there's not a ton of decisions whatever happens happens most of the time but it's fun so what do you think about this i never heard of strike before so i had no context at all um the first time we played i had to roll all my dice and made no matches (laughs) so i was out and honestly i didn't care that's how little i care about this game like there's no game the um the spells kind of help, I think, because I am like a, a total Potterhead. So I like that idea um, of these different kind of spells and how they resolve. But if I never see this game again, it'd be too soon. It's stupid. Like, it, it's no game. Like, I really don't care at all. I'd rather play Yahtzee. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't play this without the Harry Potter like theme. Because oh, just a basic not. game, I feel like it would be really boring. Like, oh, hey, I made a match. Done. But at least with the Harry Potter, like the the sides, the spells that do some things, it gives you at least a little bit more interest. It's a little bit more interesting. Like if I could stack up the tower, I may make a match, but I negated it because it's the wrong spell and all that kind of thing. So yeah, it, it's fine. I don't. I didn't hate it. I don't think I need to play it a lot, but it was fun to play that one time. I I, ha- I had a good time. Okay, I'm glad you did. <laughs> when everyone's like, "Oh, let's oh let's try it again," it was so short. I was like, Ew, "Really?" 
and I knew stuff about this game. It was the new hotness when it came out, like regular strike. Really? Well, yeah, it was talked about everywhere. With like, like children? Like, because No, why? like gamers. This is like not even a game. No, I don't know. It was everywhere. It was on the hotness. It was everywhere. I don't I don't understand it. I watched the videos like that looks interesting to you know to try once, but I don't understand the appeal of it being the, the hotness, but yeah, whatever. I mean, I play this with our kids. Maybe. Yeah, Rory would probably like it. I think she would have a good time with it. We don't need to own it, though, so don't get it. I agree with you. Yeah. <laughs> it was okay. Yeah, it, it's fine. The next game that we played at the... Well, one of the other games. We talked about some of the other ones a lot, so we're not talking about that. But the next game we played was a five-player game of Hadara, which is kind of why we played Strike as well, because we needed some games that played five players. Because a lot of the games that I brought, we brought were four players. And if you get into a lot of other games with five players, it just becomes madness. So... We played Hadara, and this is effectively a drafting game where you're taking most of your turns simultaneously. So actually, you're doing all of your turns simultaneously, really. Uh, You're drafting cards from a certain section of the board. You're either going to buy one and put it in your tableau, or you're going to remove one from the game to get money. And then you're going to take the second card that you didn't either buy or discard out of the game, and you're going to put that on the discard pile on the board. And then during after phase one, when everybody's taken one of all the five stacks of cards... Then you're going to get some income, do some like military conquest, all that kind of thing. Then you're going to go back through and buy cards that are face up in the discard pile and, you know, trying to build your tableau. And at the end of that round, you get, you can build statues again. You can do some military conquest and then you got to feed your people. So you have to spend food based on every card you have in your tableau. And it's just, you're going to do that same process over three rounds. And then whoever has the most points at the end of those three rounds is the winner. It's a pretty simple game to play actually, but it's, it's satisfying like it feels kind of seven wonders ish it's not the same at all but it has like the same theme and like the drafting it feels similar so if you like seven wonders i would say play this because it's better and it plays probably just as fast because you're doing everything together at the same time so it wouldn't it doesn't outstay its welcome so do you still like hadara after we played it with five Oh, yeah, this is in my top 20 games. I just went and checked my list because I was like, man, I feel like we just talked about this. And we did. And it it holds up. Now, I, I think I prefer to play it at a lower player count just because things go a little bit quicker. A little bit, honestly. Not that much quicker. But um, cards kind of fly, fly out quicker so you don't have as much access to them. But it scales so well. And this is absolutely the kind of game I, I just love easy mechanics to play but decisions are important like what do i keep what do i put out of the game what do i hope maybe i can come back to later if i'm going to discard um it in order to get money do i want to try and spend my money on medals or do i want to get cards that give me like in-game points or um there's just lots of different ways to go and i like i say all the time i absolutely love that you could absolutely do your own thing and make your own path to victory through this and you really don't know i felt like how it's going to shake out like you can say oh yeah so and so is really moving up on these tracks or whatever but balancing all of the different tracks is also like a valid strategy for points and um, we're shooting up one track and then using your medals to get extra points off that. Like there's just lots of different ways to do it. I like the, the idea um, like people that are like sieve builder people. 
obviously this isn't as detailed and as long as boring as like a civ building game, but there's still like time for fun little like conversation like, oh, my my civilization is really focused on military, but we have no culture at all. We're just barbarians clubbing each other. <laughs> yeah, uncultured swine. Yeah. yeah. So that that's kind of a fun little element too as you're just seeing like what tracks and what cards people are going after and like the purple cards that are the technology cards like play off of other things and give you special powers. And I, it's just such a good game. I, I cannot say that enough. I still really enjoy it. I think we need to play this more with people that aren't super into games because it is so easy as far as gameplay goes, and then I think they, and it's short enough that after they play it once, like, okay, let's do that again now that I know maybe some different strategies. I like it a lot. Yeah, yeah, I think I lost, but I still enjoy taking my own route. Like, I like to do the military thing. I don't know what it is about these Civ-themed games, but I really like the military path. I don't get that. I, it makes I don't no know. sense. Like, tapestry, I do the same thing. This one, I like yes. to go the military route. It's just, I don't know. I just like the military piece because you're taking a tile and then you, if you flip it over, you don't know what you're going to get. Like if you're going to get more points, if you're going to, which tracks you're going to move up. I like that. It's fun to me. feels like I'm doing something. So I usually fiddle around with that and not win, but I still have a good time doing my own thing, my own way. I'm building my civilization my own way. All right. And the last game we're going to talk about is uh, the, a game that we played at our game day at our house. And it is a game that takes place in space. It's a space themed uh. game. And it is called Pulsar 2849. Um, so this is from designer Vladimir Suchi, uh, Prodigals Club, Underwater Cities, to name a few. I don't know who the publisher is. I think CGE, maybe. Not sure. But this is effectively a dice drafting game, arbitrarily set in space. It could have been set in any anything, but they did space. That's fine. Which, and why? I don't yeah, know. Yeah, I don't know. You're drafting a die, and you're basically trying to move this little spaceship around. Well, one of the things you can do is you can move this spaceship around to discover planets and basically put down a marker that you visited the planet. There's going to be points for visiting planets. And if you're the first person to visit a planet and reveal it, you can put a marker down and get a bonus, maybe. One of a couple different bonuses. Or you can spend a die to move up on technology tracks, which are going to give you special abil- extra better abilities during the game, maybe some in-game points, maybe some one-time abilities, all that kind of thing. Or you can spend a die on your own personal player board, which I think is called the headquarters, and it'll give you like instant bonuses and all that kind of thing. There's also a red die that you can unlock, which gives you an extra action, but you can do that once per turn. And then I think you're also trying to discover these things called pulsars and get them spinning, um, which I was terrible at, but it is possible. I saw some people do it. Uh, You visit these certain locations on the map, you put your own little ring around it, and then you can spend a die to buy a pulsar. Get it in the ring, and then you can spend another die based on the value of the pulsar. No, the pulsar is the thing that is around. Is oh yeah, the, ring the, around. the gyrodyne is the yes. thing you're trying to spin, and then so everything needs to be exact value. You can't, you know, you have some stuff to manipulate the dice, but the die has to be. If I need the six, it has to be a six. I can't pay less or you know that kind of thing. So this is a, a good game. I I enjoyed it. I think it, you know, as far as dice drafting goes, I like dice drafting. It also helps that I won this which feels good because I never win. Um, the theme I could do without, but I really enjoyed moving my ship around and visiting planets and just trying to score points that way, which was fun. So what do you think about this? Aside from the space theme, I know you hate that, but the gameplay, what'd you like? Well, for me, the space theme is like rolled into this because like, I thought it was okay. I, I do really like dice drafting. And so I like that the idea that then you've got these tracks that if you take dice on one side of the median, 
you're going to move up on a track. The other side, you're going to move down. You're going to move down when you're buying your high numbers, which, you know, kind of helps people balance, um, which I thought was kind of cool. Um, however, it doesn't do anything that my other favorite dice drafting games don't do. It doesn't do anything new. And it has an ugly theme on it. So I'm not saying that I would never play it again. I just would prefer like to play Grand Ossery Hotel, which has in some ways similar mechanisms, but I think I like the theme better. I just like a lot of the other things going on. This one, I don't know. Like it, it wasn't bad. I just don't find myself saying, yeah, I really want to play that again. Like, I don't know. I, I can't quite put my finger on what I didn't like about it. But it's not a hated game. Like, oh, I would, if someone else really wanted to play this, sure. I would play it again now that I know how to play. Um, but then I would also suggest some other dice drafting, dice placement games. <laughs> yeah, I think um, I think the reason I like flying the little ship around the board is it reminded me of Coimbra a little bit, where I can move my mm-hmm. guy around and drop the disc at the locations. Kind of the same deal. I agree with you. It doesn't. It's not like groundbreaking on dice placement, but that economy up at the top where you're doing the median thing, that's pretty interesting. I, I thought that was, mm-hmm. you know, it made the die selection have a little bit more meaning because you're either going to move down on the track and possibly lose points or move up and, you know, get some energy cubes or whatever they're called, engineering cubes, or be first player. I thought that was interesting. but Yeah, that reminded me a little bit of, like, Tekenu, where it's like the shadow dice, the light dice, like the balance that you're trying to achieve, except oh, yeah. this one actually has more implications to whether or not you succeed or not <laughs> more than the Tekenu ba- like balance does. Yeah, I, I would I could agree with that. It, it feels similar. It's just, yeah, done in a different way. I like this game. I thought it was cool. Um, I'll just play Christus Copy if, yeah. you know, if we wanted to play it again or whatever. But yeah, I, I like Vladimir Suchi games, so that's kind of why I wanted to play it, because I like his designs. So I'm glad that I played it, because it was fun. And I won. I know. I, maybe if I'd won, I felt like I was going to win. Yeah, I got a lot of points for traveling around, though. It helped me. I don't know. I was trying to make use of, like, the low die sometimes for, like, other stuff. I was trying to do some in-game goals, but I don't know. I also felt like the iconography was a little obscure. I, I don't know. I, I Maybe the if stuff – I don't – there's so many different boards. Like, I just feel like it wasn't laid out well, like – yeah, there's really no reason for it to be a modular board, really. Um, it could be a regular board, and you could just put tiles on top of it. But, yeah, I don't I don't know. I, that didn't bother me as much. But, yeah, I, I see what you're saying. Okay, enough about that. The game is fine to me. <laughs> all right. Uh, so, yeah, that's that's all the games we played. Let's move on. All right, we are done with our top 100. If you missed that, um, check it out. The past 10 episodes. Ten, yeah, 10 weeks, yeah. As well as um, the 100 outside the 100. So from 200 down to 101 is on um, our YouTube channel. But now that it's a new year, we're going to have to come up with new podcast ideas. So feel free to recommend those to us. But we, want, we still want to look back at 2021 and surprisingly, we played a lot of games that came out in 2021 in 2021, which is so unlike that, unlike us. 
We hardly ever do that. You can start calling us man versus meeple. No, we'd have to play games like two years before they actually come oh, out. Oh, that's true. As opposed to that's the true. year they come out. That's true. Um, <laughs> I don't know if it's just because we had more time to play games this year. I don't know. We surprisingly played a lot of games that came out in the last year. And I know a lot of you listen to us because we don't push the new hotness. But I guess we're talking about games from last year. It's not the new hotness anymore. People are already moving on to stuff that's coming out this year. So we'll look back at 2021 and talk about our top 10. So this is a combined list between um, Jason and I's rankings of games that were published in 2021. I think that explains it, right? Yeah, and uh, the way that the list is laid out is if it was a rated number one by me or Katie, it got 10 points. If it was number 10, it got one point. I took the two lists, added them together, and then that's how we got the top 10. And then anything that was on one of our lists that didn't make the top 10 will be in the honorable mentions. So there's technically 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15 games we're going to talk about. Yeah, uh, Jason did all that weird mathy stuff. I just said, hey, of the games that you sent me that came out in 2021, I like these. So do you want to start with number 10 and we'll like kind of go on and off maybe? I don't know. Yeah, we can just rotate. That's fine. Sure. All right. So number 10 is a game that we've had for a while. We got a review copy and it didn't officially release until last year, but I think we covered it in 2020, I believe. But the official release date is 2021 and that game is Lawyer Up. So this is a two-player only card game where you're basically trying a, a court case. One player is going to play the defense. One player is going to play the prosecution. And you're trying to sway the jury in your favor based on whatever side you are. So if you're the prosecution, you need to get everybody to say that the person is guilty. If you're the defense, you need to at least have one person saying, you know, unsure. So you can either get an acquittal or a hung jury or whatever. So and you're doing that by playing cards down based on different values. If you play certain cards, it'll... It could influence the jury in your favor. But if you're the defense, you could also play a card that sways the jury in the prosecution's favor. You can play cards that negate a card that the prosecution played. You can have a chat with the judge who can come in and rule in your favor short term. It's really interesting. For a, a little card game, because it, it is a little card game, it does some really cool stuff. It's like a, a two-player tug-of-war card game but with a really cool court theme. And the actual version that we have, we got the Kickstarter version. It has three cases, so it has the Godfather, it has Salem Witch Trials. It may have more than that. That's the two expansions, and it has like three base cases, I think. So five cases you can play. You can play multiple times each case. It doesn't matter because you're going to play cards differently. You can play different sides. Solid game. Uh, so, yeah, it's our, it's our number 10. So, yeah, feel free to talk about it if you want. Yeah, um, thank you for letting me talk on my own show. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's our joint show. But this game, I, I agree, it is so unique. And, I mean, we mostly, as two players, play, like, heavier Euros that play more than two players. But we just like them at two. Um, but there are a couple two-player-only games that I just think are so good. And Lawyer Up is one of them. Like, it's just so unique. I also think the theme is so good and it's not used enough. The idea of, like, this court case, but you, you're not doing like detective work like I like to do in a lot of other games but it is playing cards and and trying to manipulate them under the guise of this theme and I think it's really cool I like the artwork like there's just a lot of really neat stuff about this I was considering putting this on like our 20 by 5 this year because I want to play through these other cases I just think it's it's really interesting and then playing them one side as like as a prosecution 
you can flip it around and play it as the defense. And that really kind of changes the whole game um, just from a simple, like just a simple switch. And so the replayability, I think, is there. Absolutely. Like, it's ju- it's just a really neat game. Yeah. I mean, I-, I would gladly play this 20 or, you know, five times on 20 by five for sure. Okay. Well, our number nine is a game that I really wanted and I had to convince Jason to get. And because it's number nine, I don't know that he liked it as much as I did. And we haven't played it as much as I'd like. But it's so good. And that game is Shelfie Stacker. Um, I believe I covered this when it was on Kickstarter. Yeah, I think so. That sounds right. Look at me. So in the know. Um, but I thought the whole concept was really cool that it's almost, I don't know, meta in a way that you are trying to shelve your board games and it's a whole game about that. But the artwork is super cute. Um, in this game, you've got this set of cards that have numbers on them. Um, everyone has access to the same amount, but you can kind of choose in a drafting phase or whatever at the beginning what cards and special powers you want to play with. When you play one of those cards at the beginning of your turn, the number indicates how early your placement is in the draft, the drafting phase where you're going to take um, boxes of games. But also there's a special power in each of these cards that you don't have to use right when you play it, but it becomes available to you once you play it, which I think is a really neat concept. And then you are organizing your games, which again, they're just colored dice with, instead of pips on them, they have little boxes that indicate games. And you're organizing them in the shelf in almost like a Sagrada sort of type way. Only each column can only contain one number and they have to go from lowest to highest. So that's what, ascending order? Yes. And you've got a shelf of shame if so it doesn't quite fit, but you had to draft it anyway. And then you can use these powers, kind of manipulate them, the games once you've got them. I just think there's lots of cute stuff about it. Um, the reason why people love games like Azul and Roleplayer and Sagrada is that puzzly element. And you have that in what I think is a really fun, cute, and just satisfying theme for me. And, and for me, that's why I ranked Shelfie Stacker so high. So I really liked it. I don't think you liked it as much as me. Yeah, I don't think it was in my top 10, which is why it's number nine here. Because you had it up pretty high, but it wasn't on my list. So that's why it's number nine. I don't hate the game. I like it. It's just not one of my favorite games of last year. But I think we need to play it more. And that's probably true. Like every time I play it, I enjoy it. It's just, I don't know. When I think about games from 2021 that I would rather bust out, I forget about this one mostly because it's like an abstract game. We don't play a ton of those. But yeah, I I don't hate it. I feel like it's it's abstract. It's. It's, it's an abstract game. You're taking dice and putting them in the thing like Sagrada. You're stacking your board games, man. It's an abstract game. This with a has board game real theme. world implications. <laughs> that's true. Maybe that's the issue. <laughs> You're the one that's always rearranging our game shelves. Can't get the stupid shelf right. Yeah. <laughs> no, it, it's a good game though. Like if if you are into board the board game theme, which is pretty, you know, if you're a board gamer, you probably have shelves. This is definitely one you should check out because it, you know, it's it's a silly theme. It's pretty meta. All right, so number eight, I think was on both of our lists. I don't yeah, know. I think so. Um, and it's a game that I got for Father's Day. We bought it because the box looked cool and the gameplay seemed interesting. And it's called Jinja. And this is from WizKids, which is interesting because we don't have a ton of their games. And this is a worker placement game set in, is that Japan or yes, China? Yes, Japan. Japan. 
uh, and set in Japan, and you are basically you're sending your workers out to the map to collect different types of resources to build different temples in I think there's five different regions of Japan to basically do like an area control type thing. Um, and then you're going to get some in-game points based on some of the size of the temples that you build because they're small, medium, and large, which basically just means they all look the same on the map, but the cards will take more resources if they're large and all that kind of thing. Uh, you're going to get points for everything you build. You're going to get in-game points for a bunch of different things. You're going to get uh, points throughout the game by having area majority. The board feels really tight, even at two players. I've played it at two, three, and four, and it feels... It actually feels tighter at two than it does at some of the other space uh, player counts, but it's still tight. So apparently we both liked it enough to make it number eight in our list, and that is Jinja. Yes, we partially picked this. So I was like, ooh, Asian-themed game. <laughs> of course I want that. That's true. And then we played it, and it's super tight. Like, the, when we played it, I, I had a lot of anxiety, I think, about... The gameplay, because I'm like, oh, I want to go there, but I got to get this. And you just don't have that many turns. Um, you've actually played at a higher player count than me. I've only played it two. And so I'd like to play this more because I just think there's really interesting mechanisms. It is so fun as far as like pieces go. Oh, my gosh. Like, I love the production on this. And, of course, you know, it's about Japan, which I feel that. I love it. Um but it was a challenging game, and yet, I mean, it's not like you have to manage a ton of things. There's just a few items, but it is challenging, but it's really fun. I like this one a lot. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> My Our number seven is a game that I kind of really wanted, and I had to convince Jason to buy this at, what's that, do we buy it at Origins or Gen Con? Uh, it was one of the two. I think it was Origins. I think it was Origins because right. I had to break you down. I saw it at Gen Con. I really wanted it. And you're like, what? Um, <laughs> that, that sounds like me, yeah. It, it does. It does. Um, but then I saw Origins and we kind of did like a, not a playthrough, but we just talked through the game with someone at the XYZ booth. Hey, hey, did I get it right? Yeah, good job. Yeah. I never know who makes games, people. But anyway, our number seven is Arch Ravels. Uh, this is another game that I'm like, oh, the theme is so cute and the game is so cute and it totes is, oh my gosh. So in Arch Ravels, you are like a crafter, specifically a yarn crafter. And you are making these different patterns, like you're making scarves and blankets and mittens and hats and teddy bears. Yes, teddy bears. I think that's the other one. Um, and those are giving you points. And so you're kind of doing some contract fulfillment. Um, you're, you've got like a, I don't know, like a pie chart almost of actions that you can take on your player board. You can't take the same one twice in a row. And everyone has a specific like player power where they have one action that's specifically in a certain degree to them. Like maybe I am a really fast knitter, so I can make more projects in one turn if I use my special play power than other people. Or maybe I'm like a great yarn shopper, so I can pick up more yarn on my turn than others. Like it's really cool. Like I love that aspect of it. And then there's these kind of special projects that you can do that require more yarn, but they can be bigger points. Um, you also can get better at certain patterns that kind of become your specialty. And so it allows you to kind of upgrade your player board and the things that you can make as well, which it's so cool. Like 
and it has great tray inserts. It's got great um, little, like the production is awesome. The artwork is so cute. I have a pin that's the, like the Snugglesaurus that you can knit. Like, I mean, this I also think is such a fun theme that is not done. So I, I really enjoy this game. Again, not super hard, but a good time. So uh, that's our number seven, Arch Ravels. Yeah, I don't know how many, I don't know if we've played it at more than two. I can't remember. I played it with you two and I played it with Brandon at two. Yeah, maybe just two. No, we've played it at, we played it with, I thought, at least three. You, me, and Brandon, I thought, played it together. Oh, that's true. Yeah, that's true. Uh, But it doesn't matter. Two, three, four players, it all plays the same, really. It's just different amounts of goals and all that kind of thing that's out. But I like the action selection wheel, which is like that side thing. You can't take the action that you were on. The theme is awesome. It's a really lightweight game. It's really straightforward. But the packaging and presentation makes it, I think, a little bit more interesting than it is. And I, and I like it. So, yeah, good game. All right. So, number six is a game that we actually backed on Kickstarter. And I think mostly it was, ba- it was based on theme alone, which is why we backed it. Well, you wanted to back it. And you convinced me to back it. And uh, the theme is about making Moonshine and selling it. And this is called Moonshine Empire. So this is uh, effectively a pick-up and deliver game where you are some shiners. You're running uh, stills, making different kinds of moonshine. And then you're setting up a transportation network to move that moonshine to the center of the map to either sell it to Pappy or other customers. Uh, but you're also trying to make sh- watch out for the, the fuzz because they'll get you and steal your moonshine. And you're also trying to watch out for Pappy's alligator because it'll steal some of your moonshine, or bite you, which is bad. Um, The interesting thing about this is the cars and the different vehicles don't really belong to you. They belong to everybody. So if you find an abandoned car in your network, you can jump in it, use it as if it was your car. Um, And if you get to someone else's uh, moonshine distillery or whatever they're called, you can steal their their moonshine, which they should have left it unattended because that's not smart. This game is all about the, the route building, all about building the most efficient transportation network that you can. Because if you can't get moonshine to the center, you're not going to get any points in this game, and that's brutal. you got to sell to customers. So setting up a good travel network is a lot of this game and re- really where the puzzle comes in. And this is a good game. Uh, we've only played it at two, I believe, and I would be interested to play it at more players because I'd like to see how it, you know, this, the vehicles can get stolen a little bit more, and I think it would be a little bit more chaotic. But number six, Moonshine Empire. Yes, I saw this on Kickstarter and I thought the theme was too good to pass up. And the production also, because you've got all these little vehicles. They're all shaped differently. You can put your meeples in them. Your meeple people can carry the little jugs of moonshine. Um, And it turned out to be like more of this kind of transportation transportation chain puzzle than I thought it would be. I I just find it fascinating. Like I I really like it. I really really like it. It's so good, and the alligator's cute. I mean, just it's good. The number five game on our list is one that was probably pretty close to the top of mine, which is why it landed on here. I'm surprised that it got this high. I think it was like your number one or something. Because you, I don't feel like you like this game. It, it wasn't in my top ten. Oh. Sorry, like I feel bad. Like we should sort of, we should have each in our top five and said forget it. No, it's fine. No, I, it's fine. That's how the list works. Compiled list. Okay. Anyway, number five is Red Rising. So this is a Stonemeyer game. Um, it's based on a fantasy novel series, which I haven't read, 
but you don't need to read it to play the game. Um, this game I really love. It's a essentially a hand management game because you've got you start with a hand and throughout the game you are trying to make that hand be the best that it can be so you end with the most points, which is unlike most other games. There really aren't a ton of games that act like this. And that's one of the reasons why I think it's cool because there's all these little chaining scoring opportunities between cards that you're really trying to get that hand to have that synergy that you want. So every single one of those cards is getting you the max points, is bouncing off each other, is giving you these double opportunities for points. Like that's how you win this game. And I love that. I don't know why. It just speaks to me on this essential level. The actions that you take in the game is you play a card down somewhere and you take a card. Legitimately, that is what you're doing. Now, when you place a card somewhere, that triggers a certain other action. You can move on a track. You can gain um, some cubes. You can rearrange some cards. Okay, sure. And then you're taking a card. So to get certain cards, to find the ones you need, to be able to get cards back from other people, and then each card when you play it has like this power on it that's really good. And you're like, dang it, I want this power, but man, this card's going to score me a bunch of points. Like, do I play it? Do I keep it? And you've got to keep playing cards until the win, the end of the game conditions are met. So... If you want to hold on to cards for the whole time, you got to get really creative with playing them, being able to pick them back up again. The production quality, freaking astounding. The cards are really, really beautiful. The gold ones have this really awesome gold leaf added to them. In the deluxe edition only, though. Okay, in the deluxe edition, sorry. I like the different colors that are available in this, but some of the colors are difficult. Uh, the player pieces are difficult to distinguish between. The colors on the cards, they're both, cards are both colored and they have the color written on them. Yeah, right. So that helps you distinguish. But they all indicate different types of factions. And so those different factions kind of tend to act in different ways as far as their card powers go and what they affect in the game, which I like that also. And a lot of them kind of go together or work together with other certain color factions. Like, I think that's really great. That's all I believe thematic with... The book series, which I don't know about, but you can read it on the card. I clearly really like this game. I wish Jason liked it more. It is nice. I think it really sings at the higher player counts because you get to see more cards, which is kind of essential when you're making the most of the cards in your hand. However, there are other cards that will allow you to circumvent because every card in the deck is different, which I think is also phenomenal. It's just good. It's number five in the list, Red Rising. Yeah. The more the more I play this, the more I like it. And at a higher player count, I think it is better. Which I don't normally say that, but the you have to get cards out of the deck. You have to move cards around. And when you're not doing that, it can really get bogged down. So, yeah, I, I like it at a higher player count because stuff is moving around. I don't hate this game. I just, I don't know. There are other Stonemaier games I'd rather play. There are other, like, Tableau Builders I'd rather play. But, yeah, this one's fine. It's fine. Uh, my number, or not my number four, our number four is a game that we picked up at Gen Con this year, New Hotness. Um, and How we did they review. all are? Oh, that's true. That's true. <laughs> uh, and we did a review of it on our channel, and it's called The Hunger. Uh, this is a deck-building game from Richard Garfield, Magic the Gathering, King of New York, Tokyo, all that kind of stuff. And what you're doing in this is you're taking on the role of a vampire. You're traveling around this map, 
kind of clank style. It, that's where the similarities, and it's a deck builder. So there's some similarities, but you're moving around this map. You're trying to get to different locations to maybe discover some treasure chests, maybe um, visit a cemetery to get some special goals, all that kind of thing. But the crux of the game is you're trying to hunt for humans to score blood points because the way you're going to win this game is by having the most blood. If you hunt in different regions, humans are going to be more valuable. The blood that you get extra blood points. Um, there are also going to be some familiars that you can hunt, like animals that will give you special abilities. Um, you'll get some different vampiric powers that you can hunt. And if you make it all the way to the end of the board, you'll get to hunt a rose, which will give you uh, some kind of bonus throughout the rest of the game, as long as it's in front of you. But by the end of, I think, 15 rounds, you need to make sure you're back to the castle if you're playing on the hard side or at least into the mountain region if you're playing on the easy side or you get burned up in the sun and you don't score any points. So it's kind of brutal. I like this game. Um, I was trying to decide if I like this better than Clank. They're different, but I honestly think I may still want to prefer prefer Clank over this just because it, you know, you get five cards on your turn instead of three. This one you have three cards in your turn, but you can get more cards where you draw more. It's just, I don't know, it, it seems kind of limiting. But I do really like this game. It's one of the, my favorite games that I played last year for sure. And I'm glad that we have it. So number four, The Hunger. Yeah, I like this one. It wasn't as high for me as it was for you because I think there's some clunkiness in the mechanics of it. But the theme is so interesting and I love um, how the cards and the actions are really thematic. Like, of course, you want to get back before sunrise. Are you going to turn to dust? You're a vampire, duh. Um, if you suck blood from a human who's intoxicated, that probably will affect you. Like, I just think there's really a lot of cool things about this that other games don't do. I'd love to see it kind of maybe get a second edition or get an expansion that maybe makes things flow a little bit smoother. But it still is a super good game. I really like I enjoyed it also. Our number three is a game that I saw on Kickstarter and convinced Jason to back. <laughs> uh, surprisingly, look at I'm that. Sensing a, I'm sensing a theme on the Kickstarter backing. I'm sensing a theme. Well, I try to convince you to back a lot of things on Kickstarter, so just a few <laughs> are bound to slip through at some point. That's that's true. Um, and that game is Genotype. I am one of those nerds that freaking loved uh, the Punnett Square <laughs> I like to talk about alleles and dominant traits and, you know, passive traits. I, I don't know. I just thought that was interesting. You liked to talk about it? I still do. Like you're hanging out with your friends and you're thinking, man, I really love a Punnett square. Let's talk about Punnett squares. Sometimes. Because I'm like, oh, well, that's a recessive trait. And like, you know, I'm half Japanese, but I have, or I'm quarter Japanese, but I have blue eyes. How did that happen? Okay, because my mom had blue eyes, but my dad had brown. Brown's a dominant trait. Oh, but my dad's dad had blue eyes as well. Like, I just think that's interesting. Anyway, yeah, so I think to next. I'm sure you do. <laughs> I also, one of the few facts I remember from science class is Gregor Mendel and his pea plants experiments that allowed him to develop this idea of the Punnett square. And that's what genotype is about. However, it is not as super nerdy and sciencey as the actual ideas of genetics, but it's a really fun game. So you are growing pea plants like the monks did, and you can have the monks help you also um, at the monastery where Gregor Mandel was. And you are trying to um, get certain 
genetic types of pea plants. And there's based on some dice that are rolled and you can manipulate those and you're using them to um, take different actions. Like there's lots of stuff going on in this game. You're getting tool gardening tools that help you. You can get other monks that'll help you uh, make your plants better, have more space for them, you know, take actions cheaper, just lots of different stuff going on in this one little game that I don't think is too difficult to play, but it's deeper than I thought it would be. But it's not like deep, like sciencey wise. It's just got a lot of different cool mechanics and things to balance. And I just, I really like it. And the artwork has that like time period feel a little bit. It's, it's cute. It almost reminds you of like drawings maybe that Mendel would have done in like a, a diary that or journal he had where he was keeping track of his experiments. Like, ah, I just think it's really great. And we also got some upgrading components and I actually don't think we've played this since we bought the upgrade components. And that's a shame because this game is good. So number three, genotype. Yeah, this is a, this is a really good game. It's effectively a basic worker placement and contract fulfillment game, mm-hmm. but the way that it implements that ste- that theme just makes it feel different and fresh, even though there's nothing new in here really, but it works with the theme so well, like just changing the the traits up on the board. So when you're rolling dice, you get different like like outcomes of the dice. That's genius. I, I don't know. I just, I think the game is great. It is a really fun game. And even at five players, I played it at five players, which is the most that they can go up to. It still doesn't go on super long because it's pretty quick. And I appreciate that. So yeah, very good game. All right. Our number two, this was pretty high on both of our lists. Hence the reason it's number two. And that game is a game I got for my birthday. Um, our friend Bob from the War Game Rundown posted some pictures and loved it. I thought it looked amazing, and I wanted it. So Katie got it for me, and it's called Venice. This is a, effectively a pick-up-and-deliver game set in Venice, hence the name. And you're trying to visit these different locations to collect cubes to fulfill contracts. That's the crux of the game. But the interesting thing about this game is, as you have a worker on a location on the map, the longer they sit there, the more powerful that location is going to be. So when you use that location, you're going to get better actions the longer your worker is there. And also, when you drive by a location with your boat, your guy at that place will just throw you the cube. So you don't even have to stop. You can just drive by and your cube gets thrown onto your boat. Your boat can hold, I think, five cubes or something like that, six cubes. And you're trying to make it to different locations. You want to stay away from other people's boats. Because if you pass them, it could cause bad things to happen. They turn you in and make your suspicion go up. And if you have too much suspicion at the end of the game, you automatically lose, which is terrible. That happened to me, and that's not fun. But really cool pickup and deliver game, some really interesting mechanisms. Um, and that suspicion track just keeps you honest, and I like that. So our number two, Venice. Yeah, this game is really good. Um, the production is like off the chain and you're like oh it's pick up and deliver no big deal but then you're like oh crap like if i pass this way i'm gonna run into them and with two players there's um i don't it's not an autumn i think they're called spies spy ships or something like that i'm not Mm, sure that doesn't sound right it's something like that but two dummy boats that we each (laughs) control one but those also like create some issues where oh i don't want this to be right there like so there's a lot of thinking. You're like, I just need to go here and pick up this thing. But you can't. Like, I, it's really fun. 
I love that. And um, the production is, a, is incredible, but there's so many interesting mechanics in this game that take it from a simple pickup and deliver into something that's a little bit more intense and like it a lot. So yeah, Venice, so good. Our number one, this I'm pretty sure is my number one. Um, and this game I recently talked about because I think it was in my top 10. Nope, this top was, 20. This was your number one and my number two. This is, uh, yeah. And so of my top 100 games, this was number 14 for me. And I hit maybe playing it more. It could get higher. Like this game is so good. And that is the Belgian beers race. Jason won this game so bad. From the time he saw it, he wanted it so bad. And the artwork, admittedly not great, in my opinion. And so yeah, it, not good. It wouldn't have attracted me. It's like a brown box. I'm like, ooh, brown box. Um, but we found it for a good deal at Origins. Yeah, yes, yeah, Origins. Yes, Origins, yeah. And so, and it, admittedly, Jason, I believe, broke his $50 limit for this. I did. It was 65 which that showed how much he wanted this game. So I'm like, oh, okay, dude, this game is so good. <laughs> it's so good. So this is a game where you're traveling around Belgium and you're stopping these different breweries. And like, it's not just like they made up these breweries. They are actual breweries. They get a whole like book about it. So you know everything. Like it's like legit. Like if you need that, it, you can find that history here. I don't care. Um, but in the game, you're traveling to these different breweries because you're wanting to taste different kinds of beer because it's moving you up on a track. Um, certain breweries have our specialty type breweries, so you can move up on those tracks. Um, you can buy bottles of beer that are going to allow you to help you get around because there's this time mechanic because it takes time to travel around. And you're basically like on a three-day weekend, like a long weekend bender here. Three-day bender, yep. <laughs> To go on this beer tasting expedition with these other people. If you run into your friends, like, hey, let's cheer. And that moves you up on a track. So there's like all these tracks everywhere. You're collecting this beer. You're trying to figure out the quickest way to get around because you, you get points for being efficient. While you're drinking, you're trying not to get too drunk. So sometimes you have to eat some cheese or maybe you have to bike it off a little bit so that you, you, know, you don't end up getting drunk and passing out early because that affects the points that you can get from going around and doing these different things. Um... There are short-term, like, in-game goal, in goals that you can meet. There are also end-game goals that you can work towards to meet. I, oh, my gosh, this has everything that I love. Um, like, just dozens of tracks. Again, multiple paths to victory. Um, and I almost always pass out on the first day because I just, I'm like, yeah, let's go here, let's go here, let's go here. And then I'm like, oh, I'm so drunk, I can't bike anymore. Busing takes a long time. I'm in major trouble. Um, but then the second day, like, I work it out. It's it's so, it's, it's such a good game. What do you classify that as, like, set collect? I don't know. I don't know. It feels like a race game to me, kind of. That's what I've mm. been calling it—a racing game because you're trying to be the first person back to the palace and all that kind of thing. But yeah, I don't—I don't, I don't know honestly. Yeah, but it, you don't want to be the first person back to the palace like no Too holds early. barred. You know? Yeah, what I mean? that's like, true. That's true. It's an efficient race. You need to be efficient while you're racing. I guess I don't know. I don't know what it's classified. Let's look at BGG. Because <laughs> I was just thinking, like, what what would you do? Like, but that, I mean, you're kind of racing. 
but not really because you just want everybody to get back. You're like trying to be efficient with your time. You want to move up these tracks. You want to collect. Yeah, you're trying to collect different um, coasters and beers for points. Um, just a whole bunch of ways to score points. It says it's uh, area movement, race, movement points, and variable setup. <laughs> uh, okay. Yeah, I don't know. But this is a great game. Uh, it was my number two, your number one. My number one was Venice. So... You know, both of those games, in my opinion, are really great. I've played Belgian Beers Race. We just played it at the, I played it at the New Year's Day thing while you were playing something else. It's fantastic. Uh, it, it does feel different than a lot of other games, and I don't, I can't explain it still. It just feels different. It feels like a race, but the, what, what you're doing is interesting. And toasting is mean. You can make people pass out. It's it's just, it's super fun. So yeah, it's a, it's a great number one pick for, for our list, I think. And you like it. Yeah. I, oh, I love it. Yeah. What's your it. favorite thing about this? My favorite thing? Yeah. I don't know. I, just the whole player board is nothing but tracks. You're just moving up on tracks. So every action you take, the game is effectively a track. And then your player board, you're just trying to drink as much beer as you can to score points. You're trying to toast people to score points. You're trying to visit the special um, breweries that are shaped like meeples and compasses and all that kind of thing to score points. Everything is points. I love it. It's just track management and everything you do is points. You get so many points. I, that's what I like about it. Point salad. Point salad beers race is what I like about it. Okay. Yeah. See, point salad. That works. So that's our top 10 games of 2021. I'll like recap them real quick. And then Jason can talk about our honorable mentions. So number 10 is Lawyer Up, two-player game. Number nine, Shelfie Stacker, Super Meta. Number eight, Jinja. Number seven, Arch Ravels. Number six, Moonshine Empire. Number five, Red Rising. Number four, The Hunger. Number three, Genotype. Number two, Venice. And number one, The Belgian Beers Race. All right, so a couple honorable mentions. One is on here because only I played it. That's why it's not on the list because Katie didn't play it. It's a solo-only game called A Gentle Rain. Um, I recently looked back through my games played last year, and I played this one 40 times because each game's like 10 minutes. Uh, it's just a, a cool little solo-y tiling game that I enjoy quite a bit. Had we both played it, it would have been probably pretty high on my list because I like it. Uh, the next game is Cryo, which is a worker placement game set on some random planet where you're using these drones to take different actions and rescue your people to get them down underground or something like that. Uh, I think this was on both of our lists, I believe, because we both played this one. Uh, Panda Main, which is a game that we got for review we still actually have our review copy a game about making bread and selling it to villagers worker placement game with a super dry theme but great game it was actually in your top 10 i believe yes yeah it was your number eight for the year what oh panda main oh i thought you meant like my top 10 of all time i'm like no 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 no. of the year no it's not that high um so yeah that's a, a solid game after the empire is another one it did not make my list i did play it but you like it a lot better than me. I do it, like this one a lot. I want to play it again. It was your uh, number nine. It was not in my top ten, which is why I didn't make our list. Because they both had to be in the top ten, basically. Or someone needs to be real high. This is a worker placement game where you're also, after you do worker placement, you're trying to defend your castle against attacks. And kind of like a tower defense worker placement game, which is, it's interesting. I just didn't like it that much. And the last one is a little abstract game that we got to review, and we actually got sent a nice deluxe copy of it and played it a couple times since then, and that's called Garinto. Very fun game. It's got, like, upwards tiles. If you've ever played Scrabble Upwards, where the tiles stack on top of each other, 
you're taking a tile that basically represents one of these different five different elements. And then based on what tile you take is going to let you acquire or place is going to let you acquire tiles around them in a certain pattern. You're trying to get tiles to do some in-game scoring or end-of-round scoring over like three or four rounds. It's a pretty simple game to teach and play, but man, it's stinky and fun. So, Garinto. Those are five honorable mentions that didn't quite make the top ten. Yeah, I really liked Garinto as well. And I think we should play After the Empire again because you might like it better this time. Yeah, I would be willing to play it again. I think now that I understand what's going on and see what happens, I think I I would be willing to try it again because I have my mind in the right place. (laughs) All right, well, those are the games that we loved from 2021, and I'm sure there are more out there. So tell us, what games did you like from 2021? In fact, my problem was I didn't know which games came out in 2021, so Jason pulled a list for me um, because I'm technologically slow, but I'm sure you can find that on BGG somehow, right? Yeah, that's what I did. I searched by a year published, and then it gives you all the games that were published. Then I filtered out by the ones that we played. I always try that, but it never works for me somehow. But you might. You might know, or you might have gotten a game in 2021 that you really loved. So tell us about it. Basically, I just all I care about is hearing from you guys. You could tell us about anything, <laughs> and I would be excited. And especially if you have ideas for podcasts. Um, topics that you'd like to talk about. I know lots of people out there like uh, on, and I go out and look at other board game podcasts. I don't really listen to them, um, but I consider them. Uh, And I look at what they're talking about and they'll take one game or maybe two games and spend somehow like an hour or more talking about that game. We don't do that. Um, I just don't think I, I can stick to one topic long enough, number one. And I feel like we can do better. We can do better. Um, So if you have a topic you'd like us to cover, please tell us. Or you want to talk about your favorite games of 2021. Or you have some your top 10 games of all time. I want to hear about those too. Um, Find us on Facebook on our hashtag The Road to Facebook group, YouTube, Instagram, Twitter. Uh, One of my New Year's resolutions for this year was to make more board game videos. So I'm really going to try that. I'm thinking I have an idea and I basically stole it from Melanie because she's awesome. Um, And if Jason is done rearranging our shelves for the millionth time, I don't think he is yet, so I can't start. But I wanted to kind of give you guys um, a tour and discuss the games that we own on our shelves and what that looks like. So We'll see how that works out and when that is possible. But uh, follow, like, subscribe, get updates, all those fun things so that we can communicate to each other because we love you guys. Yep. And I, yeah, I agree with all that. I'm trying to do a lot of videos. I'm trying to think of some different non-review videos that I want to do too. Maybe some top four videos or something. Everybody does top threes and top five, so maybe I'll do a top four that sounds good. Ooh, you're just, so edgy. I just thought about that right now. Sounds like a good <laughs> idea. So, uh, yeah, but I'm trying to come up with something that's not just a review video or a playthrough with me or Katie or me and the youngest kid. Or we could do uh, videos just, together because I know you don't like being on videos talking, and I just like to talk, but I'm not good at showing the game. So we could work that's that true. out. I'll just sit there and hold the box. You can talk about the game. I'll do the playthrough, and you can do the rest. That works for me. I like it. All right. So, yeah, I, I agree. Just hit us up comment share like subscribe do all the things 
that would be cool. All right. Well, thanks for listening to us for another year. And let's make 2022 a, a, ga- a year of great gaming. So I've been Katie. And I'm Jason. Keep gaming, everybody. Keep gaming. Keep gaming.